Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to our service this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the minister here. It's good to see you all. Um, And it's good to be here. I'd like to welcome Simon Goddard, who will be coming and um, speaking and doing various things in our service in a bit in a little while. Oh, and finally, we had a 24-hour prayer event Friday, starting at 12 p.m., running through till Saturday at 12 p.m. Comrade put together a little um, film. Now he's trying to. It's good trying to make it. It's only took 20 minutes. So take a look at this and see the sort of things that happened. We did lots of things during that 24 hours. Lots of them are still displayed up around the church. So over there, there's something that we did. And if you weren't able to come, you can still take part in it. There's um, stuff that you can do to pray for our community over there. In the back, you'll see handprints and fingerprints, and you can read what that was all about, and we can pray for each other in that section if you'd like to. Our church vision is up in the back hall as well. And this morning, we're going to carry on by doing um, another prayer activity together. So um, if you didn't come, do have a look, see what we did. If you did come, uh, it was a great time, and thank you for being part of it. And um, there'll be more things happening from now on to do with that. So I was wondering this morning, how old do you feel? You might not like to say your age, but how old do you feel this morning? Sometimes we wake up and we think, oh... I feel fresh as a daisy, 10 years old. That's if you're older than that. Other days we wake up and we think, oh my word, I'm not long for the grave. (laughs) Maybe even today. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? But other times we wake up and we think, I feel just right. This is a good day. I wonder how you feel. Quick chat to the person next to you. How old do you feel today? How old do you feel? Okay. Anyone want to tell me how old they feel today? Or should we do a... Oh, go on. How old do you feel? You feel 10. How old are you? Oh, you're 8 and you feel 10. A bit tired then, maybe. 35. I do know how old you are, David. Don't know whether other people do, but you're feeling good today. Brilliant. Anyone else? Yes. Oh. Five. How old are you? Now, you see, the reason I ask this is because, as you might know, during the week, there was a lady who celebrated quite a big milestone of her birthday. She was 90, don't you know, on Thursday. The Queen. She was 90 years old, and at youth group, does God matter that we were discussing different things about the Queen. And did you know, she still works a 40 to 50 hour week. She's 90 years old, and she still works a 40 to 50 hour week. I thought it was amazing. Some days, I bet she gets up and she feels more than 90 and thinks, oh, I really don't want to. Don't want to take those corkies for a walk today. But other days, she might feel brilliant about it. But one thing that amazed me was the Queen said this. There's a quote, it says... I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right and to take the long view, to give of my best in all that the day brings 
and to put my trust in God. Each day is a new beginning, says our 90-year-old queen. (sighs) Toilet stop. (laughs) The Bible says something that is quite similar to that. It says this. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Every day is a new day. One day we might feel it's not a great day, but we wake up the next morning, it's a new day, and God is here, and God is faithful. Now I'd like to invite Simon to come up. It's really good to be here uh, this morning, visiting family. You're part of a family, a family of 178 Baptist churches in the Eastern Baptist Association and more than 2,000 churches uh, across the UK. And it's really good here, visiting family today. One of the things the family is doing at the moment is something called 40 Days of Daring Greatly. I don't know if you've seen these leaflets, but one of the things we've been encouraging churches to do, and it sounds like your 24-hour prayer thing was one of those things that you're doing to dare greatly, to take God at his word and to be praying for our world. But this, we're encouraging people and our churches to take risks, and I'll be thinking about that later. Um, but um, I don't know if you know the story of Blondin. Anyone know the story of Blondin? He was a tightrope walker. Yes, tightrope walker. And he uh, walked across this particular occasion, walked across on Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and he walked across and he came back and people applauded him and he walked out, took his lunchbox, sat on the tightrope, ate his lunch and came back and everyone applauded him and then uh, he says, do you believe that I could carry someone across the tightrope on a wheelbarrow and uh, bring them back safely and everyone was saying, yes, we believe, we believe, They'd they'd seen what he could do and they believed and then the big question, I need a volunteer, (laughs) Who was going to volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow that he would push? That's where belief is trust. Sometimes we believe things, but we don't necessarily entirely trust. And God calls us not to be people that just believe, but to be people who trust in him, put our lives in his hands as we do things that are daring greatly or a little bit risky. There was only one person willing to get in the wheelbarrow. It was Blondin's mum. And she knew that she was safe in his hands. And we know uh, that we're safe in our Father, God's hands. I want to um, tell you a bit. I've got, I bought some books with me. I bought this, them last time. There are different books. I keep getting donated Christian books. And I've brought some. And I'm selling them for Home Mission. It's an opportunity to give uh, again to the work of Home Mission. I know you do. And thank you very much for your uh, ongoing contributions to Home Mission. Uh, and I just wanted to tell you before I sit down a story about a church that's been daring greatly. Um, 57 West. Have I told you a story about 57 West? is a church down in South End. And uh, I go to a lot of church anniversaries. Often there are 100 and something or 200 and something. Uh, I went to 57 West church anniversary. It was their second church anniversary. Uh, I went to their first anniversary. I don't think I'm going to make them all, but uh, I was uh, their second anniversary recently. And they were a church that um, was planted. They, they looked at all the churches in South End. There's lots of Baptist churches in South End. And a lot of them are missing people between the ages of 18 and 30. 
And um, a new student residence was being built in Southend. And they thought, we, need, we really need to reach out to the young people. So they leased an old barber shop, turned it into a cafe, good Wi-Fi, good coffee, and opened the doors, and the young people didn't come. But the people who did come were people who were uh, having housing problems or uh, struggles with addictions. And they started to come in. And people uh, who were offering this church plant, they could have said, no, 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 <laughs> we want the young people. But they just said, this is who God's sending. This is what we're going we're gonna to respond to the needs of these people. And over the last few years, a church called 57 West has developed, which is a church for people with uh, housing problems. Many of them are homeless, uh, people with addictions. They open during the week and offer food and support, access to services to get them into accommodation. They have a recovery cafe where people are particularly helped uh, with their addictions. Um, and on a Saturday, they have church. Not on a Sunday, but on a Saturday. And uh, in the middle of this church service, they have a 15-minute break uh, for everyone to go outside and have a cigarette. <laughs> I'm, I'm not planning... I, I don't, you've not got one of those this morning. Have, no, no. Um, we're all works in progress, and so are they. But they have this um, Saturday church. If you went, you probably wouldn't reckon... There's lots of food in the church service, um, lots of conversation... Not a half-hour sermon that you're going to get today. Uh, just a conversation and presentation uh, and uh, lots of visual stuff. Uh, but God is at work there. Over the last two years, three people have been baptized in the sea and many more have uh, renewed their faith. People that have said that they haven't always felt welcome in a local church, but this is a church for them. And that's one of the projects that's supported by Home Mission. So as you buy a book, they're only a, a pound each. Uh, that's where your money's going, and thank you for that. And just encourage you, uh, and I'll be doing this uh, to those of us that are left um, when the children go out, uh, be, be thinking a bit more about this, about daring greatly, about taking risks for the kingdom of God. Thank you. You can take a look at the book, books afterwards uh, when we have coffee and tea and lunch as well. As we said earlier, we had a 24-hour prayer event where we prayed for our village and our community, and we also prayed for each other, and we prayed about our vision, what God wanted us to do, where he wanted us to go, what things he wanted us to be engaged in, and we asked God to speak to us, and then people tied things on this net here as to what God might have said to us, and... We will gather all those together and continue to pray about this and see where God wants us to go forward. But this morning we're going to continue our prayers as we're together here and pray for our world because the young people prayed for the world when they met together for the prayer evening as part of that. You may have seen the cross that Emma took out, which she'll bring down later, which they made a big um, cross, cardboard cross, and they stuck on um, things that were happening in the world and prayed for the world. But There wasn't a real focus on that during the 24-hour prayer. So today we're going to pray for our world. You will hopefully have been given a leaf-shaped card um, tag with some string attached to it. Um, And and hopefully you'll have a pen or there'll be someone near you who has a pen. And in the next few minutes, I just want you to think about the world, about situations that you've heard about or situations that you've read about things that you know that maybe haven't made the news but that are on your mind and your heart and the idea is to simply just write a prayer or write a place or whatever you want to write on that little leaf shape 
um, tag to pray for the world. So you could write out whole prayer, or you could just name a place or a situation or someone that you know that is in um, a place where they need prayer. Or you could draw a picture, if that's something that you prefer. And then we're going to sing together. And as we sing, I'd like to invite you to bring your tag up and to tie it near to the place that you've prayed for. So you'll notice that there's a world map behind the net, hopefully. Well, there is, but hopefully you've noticed it. Um, And you can just tie your tag onto the net near to the place that you prayed for. If you don't know your geography very well, you might have to ask someone else to point out the place so you can tie it to. If you find it difficult to get up to the front, please do give your tag to someone else and ask them to tie it on for you, or you can do it afterwards if you'd like. So I'll just pray, and then we'll have a time of quiet where you can write down on your tag the places or the things that you want to pray for, and then we'll sing together as we bring them up in prayer to God. So let's pray together. Certainly lost a lot of people, didn't we? (laughs) It's great that there's so many children here. Really good to be with you. Um, I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to focus on uh, the story of Abraham. But if you're following in the Bibles which are in the um, pews, uh, it's um, on page 1209 we're starting. And I'll guide you through. So starting at Hebrews 11 verse... One. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And we're going to jump to verse 8 and the story of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham's story continues, and then we get to verse 20 where we read by faith Isaac and hear his story, by faith Jacob, and his story is told, by faith Joseph, by faith Moses. And then we get to verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword. These were all commended for their faith. And into Hebrews 12. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, title of my sermon today is Faith is a Four-Letter Word. And um, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey as we think about this. And um, I've already dropped the word a few times, so you may guess what it is. But we're going to look at some of the words it could be. And the first word, word it could be is this one, he says. Hopefully. There we go. Down. I'm going to take you on a journey this morning. Oh, <laughs> rushing through quickly. I'm going to take you on a journey this morning. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Not quite sure what's happening there, but uh, we're going to start with uh, the word down because over a generation, the church attendance in this country has declined by a half. I don't know if you're aware of that. In 1979, 12 out of every 100 people would be in church on any given Sunday, and at the moment it's 6% of the population. And all indications are that that might half again in the next generation. Only 3% of people in their 20s are found in church Sunday by Sunday. Sometimes we, we try uh, and invite other people to church. And there was a, something called the Decade of Evangelism. I don't know if anyone remembers a Decade of Evangelism between 1990 and the year 2000. Um, during those 10 years, more than a million people stopped going to church. Some of them entered glory, but most left through the back doors, never to be seen again. You could say, faith is down in this country. And if we look at our churches in the association, uh, we did some research in 2014 that showed two-thirds of our churches over a decade, between 2004 and 2014, two-thirds had seen decline, some of those significant decline. You could say the word down is true. Maybe not down and out, but down anyway. In Hosea 9 verse 7 it says this, the days of reckoning are at hand, let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired person a maniac. In Hosea's day, in that culture, those that spoke for God and spoke to God were considered foolish. And many would say the same of us today. Especially this person who you've had a glimpse of already. Let's have a look at the next screen. Uh, I don't know if you recognise him. Uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, standing in front of a bus that says there's probably no God, so stop worrying and enjoy your life. He's one of those people that considers Christians foolish. And not only foolish, dangerous, he would say. Faith in this reasoned, rational world has no place. It's dangerous. And he uses this word meme, a four-letter word, to describe the thought virus that he describes faith as, this thing that we um, pass one to another, this dangerous virus of the mind, uh, that he describes it as. I don't think many people agree with Dawkins. I don't think many people think the Christian church is dangerous. I just don't think they think much of us 
at all. And if they do, they see people on television or in soap operas who are Christian, who are objects of ridicule. They might laugh at us rather than uh, be afraid of us. So maybe memes are a word that some would use of faith today. How about this word, uh, which is a bit more comforting perhaps? Safe. I wonder if you think about the Christian faith as safe. It is certainly good to gather together week by week to meet with people uh, who believe the same things as us. Uh, But if we think this is designed to be a place of safety in the sense that it's a place of comfort, a place where the challenges of the world don't creep in, then we've misunderstood what church is all about. And it won't turn things around. Because God invites us on a mission. In Matthew 28, 19, we're told, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's a great commission. And commission means it's God and us. We do it together, like a co-pilot, a co-driver. It's a commission. Uh, God invites us to be part of his mission in this world. And in Psalm uh, 127, uh, It says, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labour in vain. We can't do it on our own. We need to do it with God. And in Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We're invited to be part of this building of the church. And I believe when we are obedient to God, we will see this church in this nation grow and flourish. So... What is the four-letter word that I want to share with you today? It's not any of those, although it possibly could be. But let's have a look at this four-letter word. I've used it already. Risk. I believe faith is a four-letter word spelled R-I-S-K. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. Uh, I did go to Spurgeon's, but it's a four-point sermon rather than (laughs) a three-point sermon. If we look at Hebrews 11, we see a hall of fame. People who are commended for their faith. And yet sometimes I think in our churches we misunderstand what faith is. I go to some churches and they say, at least we're being faithful. By which they mean we're keeping the doors open, we're keeping the pulpit filled, at least we're being faithful. Now, I want to commend perseverance. Uh, There's a church where I was in local ministry, Low Chapel, that 30 years ago... It got down to four people, four older ladies, and they persevered in prayer. They felt God still had a purpose for that fellowship. They persevered in prayer, and God worked amongst them. They were obedient to what God was saying to them. That was being faithful in that circumstance. But there's another church just down the road from Lode, Great Wilbraham Chapel, and when God spoke to them, when they were down to three people, he said, release what you've got, close the doors, and pass it, uh, the resources that you have, to something new that's happening down the road. And they, they joined in with that and saw God work there. Being faithful is different in each circumstances. The list of people in Hebrews 11 all have different stories to tell of what it means to be faithful in their circumstances. Sometimes it's faithful to keep going. Sometimes being faithful means stopping and doing something different. I think sometimes in our churches we're afraid of calling things to an end, whether that's closing churches or whether that is stopping ministries of one sort or another. Sometimes we're fearful of doing that, but sometimes the faithful thing is to do that. So let's have a look at the first word on uh, risk. 
reality checkpoint. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. First one of Hebrews 11. I don't know if you rec- anyone recognise the lamppost in that picture? Parker's Peace, yes, yes. So I'm someone that lived in Cambridge for 20-odd years, and occasionally I'd cycle up across Parker's Peace, and there'd be this lamppost, and you'd have one of those existential moments as you cycled past it. Reality checkpoint. What is reality? My understanding is that that first appeared on the lamppost in the 60s. Uh, some hippie painted it on, uh, uh, perhaps in the middle of a bad trip or something. But uh, uh, when the council painted over it, someone wrote it on again. Uh, and uh, probably a student. Uh, and then every time the council's painted the lamppost, someone else has just gone on and scratched it on or painted on the words reality checkpoint. And I think we need to have a reality check as church. That's certainly what Abraham did when he encountered God. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. An older couple who had... Uh, family, you had a place to live, and yet they had no descendants, nobody to inherit uh, from them. And yet when God encountered them, their reality changed. Their reality that they could see, that the people around them could see, was that they were an older couple with no children. And then God spoke a new reality over them. God said, I'm going to make you the father of many. He changed his name as a seal of that promise that he spoke over him. Abraham means father of many. I will make you a father of many nations. Abraham's reality changed. The reality that God could see in Abraham's future was different to the reality that he could see in his present. And faith requires this difference between the present and the future, between what we can see and what God can see. And being faithful means believing in the reality that God can see, the reality that we can't yet see, and pursuing that. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. He took him on a journey from what was familiar to something that was unknown, a journey of faith, leaving everything behind, his family, the land that he knew, to follow after God, to be obedient to this promise that God had spoken over him. And all the people of faith listed in Hebrews 11 and told to us in Scripture had to do something, had to go uh, and leave something behind, to go on a journey. Noah had to start building um, uh, the boat. He had to chop down the trees. He had to, uh, in the middle of dry ground, had to build a boat uh, That was a bit risky in the context where he was. Abraham was taking a risk leaving where he uh, went, uh, leaving where he lived to go where God was calling him to be. And so faith requires a difference between where we are and where where God is calling us to be. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I wonder what you are hoping for. Cottenham Baptist Church. (laughs) And individually, those uh, who make up this fellowship. What are you hoping for? What are you hoping for for this church? What are you hoping for as you seek to be obedient to God in your life? I believe God plants seeds of hope in our heart. He gives us glimpses of the reality uh, that he sees in our future. 
and calls us uh, to be obedient to it. It's great that when you are praying in the 24 hours of prayer that you didn't just speak to God, that you sought to listen to him as well because God speaks to us and calls us to places that we aren't yet in. When God speaks, our reality changes. Even if at this part of the journey we can't see yet exactly what that is. And that's why God does uh, the next uh, thing. Let's have a look at the, the next point. He calls us to imagine the inheritance. He does this for Abraham. Don't you remember what um, he says to Abraham? Abraham uh, in, in Genesis, he speaks to Abraham and says, look at the, look at the sky. Uh, it would have been nighttime and there wouldn't have been the light pollution that we see and he'd have seen myriad upon myriad of stars. And God said to him, your descendants are going to be as numerous as that. He stirred his imagination about what could be. See all those stars, your children are going to be as numerous as that. See the, the, gra- the grains of sand underneath your feet, your descendants are going to be as numerous as that. He stirred his imagination. In, in, in Ephesians, Paul writes to the church there, and invites them uh, and prays for them that their imagination might be stirred. He says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, that's where we see uh, the things of faith. We can see them here, but we can't yet see them here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Sometimes when churches talk about vision, they sort of get together and they say, what's our vision? Um, I think vision is about catching a glimpse of the reality that God already sees in the future of our church, asking him to show us what is in store for us. What is he calling us to? We're called to seek that vision, to hear what God is saying. What What do you want, God, What do you want our future to be like and how can we be obedient to that? I'm not a great fan of the King James Version of the Bible and you can take me me outside and stone me later. Um, But um, there are two verses that I think sound better in the King James Version. One is Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We need to be seeking God's reality in order for us to be faithful to it. When we haven't got a vision, when we haven't got a glimpse of where God's calling us to go, we perish, we just uh, flounder around where we are without moving forward. God calls us forward. He calls us to be obedient to the vision that he reveals to us, the reality that he has. And some churches that are focused uh, on surviving uh, barely do that. I think God calls us to flourish (laughs) and to see growth and to deeply uh, pray and earnestly seek what God's calling us into in our flourishing. To imagine the inheritance. What would it be like (laughs) when God works amongst us? Joel 2.28 When we hear about the Holy Spirit coming upon the church, it says that it will be accompanied, the Spirit will be accompanied by dreams and visions. Young men and older men, 
young women and old women, seeing dreams and visions, being given glimpses of what God has in store for us. He calls us to have our imagination stirred by the Spirit that we might catch a glimpse of what he's calling us into. But even then, there's something else for us to do. We've had our imagination stirred. We've had our eyes open to the reality that God is speaking over us. But there's something else we need to do, and that is to say yes to God. I think that's the the next slide. Uh, Saying yes to God. It requires us to put faith into action. Like Blondin's mum, to volunteer to get into the wheelbarrow to begin a journey like Abraham had to pack his bags and leave where he was to go on this journey. It wasn't until he'd been obedient that God would fulfill the promise. Moses had to put his staff in the Red Sea before it parted. God calls us to put our faith into action. And in the book of James, we're told that faith without action is no faith at all. And the book of Acts is called the book of Acts because the disciples put their faith into action. They didn't just believe it, they acted Uh, in a God that they trusted. So people saying yes to God. But it's not always easy to say yes to God. Uh, Verses 33 to 37, uh, we just take a glimpse of those. People in Hebrews 11, through faith, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Sounds a bit dangerous, risky to me to be faithful under those circumstances. Then there are those who, by faith, endured torture, faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. We know that in some parts of the world today, there are people, because of their faithfulness, who are facing those things. And then people, whilst remaining faithful, were put to death by stoning, sawn in two, killed by the sword. That isn't faith going wrong. That's people counting the cost of following Jesus and still saying yes to God. Being a Christian can be a risky business. Sometimes we're not called in this country, often. I don't think many people in this country are called to give up their their lives, as it were, for their faith. But we do need to put our old life to death in order to follow Christ. To put the things that are... Uh, comfortable and familiar uh, to us, behind us, to go where God is calling us to go. I'm not sure that church is supposed to be a safe place. I think it's a place of risk. I don't know if anyone remembers reading The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Many of you read that book. Um, And Aslan is a representation of Jesus. And um, he's a lion. And the children meet the lion, meet Aslan for the first time. And Mr. Beaver is talking to them about the lion. Aslan is a lion, he says, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. (laughs) And that's the Christian journey, that's the Christian calling, that we put our hands in someone who's, put our lives into the hands of someone who's, who's good, but doesn't always call us to do the safe or comfortable thing. 
Saying yes to God, stepping out in faith, sometimes requires us to put our security and our comfort behind us as we embrace the risk of the unknown. There's two pictures there of a church in Polzeth. And uh, I don't know if anyone knows about this church, Polzeth Methodist Church. And this church was down to three older ladies. I don't know what it is about older ladies, probably being more faithful than the men. The men have gone by then. Um, but uh, low chapel here at Polzeth Methodist Church. And uh, it's right on the beach in Polzeth. And um, the circuit was saying to them, look, you know, this, this church is on prime real estate. If we sell this building, because there's only three of you, uh, we'd be able to put the money into the other churches in the circuit. And these ladies were quite convinced that God wanted to do something still in that building. They looked out the sun, on a Sunday morning, they looked out the windows, and they saw young people surfing when the waves were up, and saw them skateboarding uh, when the waves weren't up, and said, if only this building could be used to reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And actually they said, if there's anyone there who can reach these young people, uh, this building is available to you. Uh, Polzeth Methodist Church is now called the Tube Station. And uh, last Easter, uh, so a few weeks ago, there were more than 200 people gathered in that chapel to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That um, picture there at the bottom, um, in reliably informed, is of a half pipe where the altar used to be. There's now a half pipe, and people skate to the glory of God. I'm not sure when the ladies offered the space. They knew that would happen. Um, But that's a risk of following where Christ led. It's open all the week as a cafe, uh, all sorts of ministries happening in and through this place to the young people and to the families uh, who holiday there and live locally. Giving up something in order to embrace what God has in store for them. It's the same where I was at Low Chapel. We moved out of the chapel into a school and we had three church meetings over five weeks about this and at the first church meeting a number of our people were saying we love our old chapel we don't want to move Uh, and at the end of the last meeting they were saying we love our old chapel we don't want to move but we've come to realize that God does want us to move and therefore we'll go unanimously the church saying we'll gather on a Sunday morning in the school now not suggesting that's what you should do most definitely. But sometimes God does call us to make difficult choices, letting go of things that are familiar, embracing the new and the fresh that he's calling us into, saying yes to God. And when we say yes to God, uh, last point, we see God's kingdom coming. As I mentioned, 200 people in the tube station on Easter Sunday. Churches up and down the country who are doing fresh things, fresh expressions of church. Tube stations are fresh expression of church. Churches that are embracing the new thing that God is doing, whatever that means for them in their circumstance, they're seeing God's kingdom come, people uh, being saved and finding new life in Christ. I don't know if many of you would prefer to be in London this morning, uh, running the London Marathon. I ran the London Marathon, I was just, when we were talking about how old we feel, I ran the London Marathon seven years ago, and I'm not sure I could (laughs) run uh, a few miles now. Um, but when I did run the London Marathon, I, um, I, I ran it in a clerical collar. Uh, the Cambridge Evening News dubbed me the Go Faster Pastor. Uh, and when I was running, um, I would ble- people would wave and they'd say, come on, Simon, come on, because you have your name across your... And I'd bless them, you know. And, um, 
And then there were people that were struggling. Sometimes it was me, but there were others who were struggling as well. And I'd come alongside them. And those verses from Hebrews uh, 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I'd tap on the back and encourage them with the words from Hebrews 12. And I don't know about you, but as we list these people in Hebrews 11, as we read scripture and think of all these heroes of faith, As we look back in our own Christian lives at those that have been influential in our journey of faith, those that took the risk of sharing the gospel with us, fearing we might reject them or laugh at them, people who have been influential, whether it's Sunday school teachers or parents or, for me, a grandparent who shared their faith with me, I think about those generations of believers lining the marathon route. They've had the baton, they've ran their race and they've passed it to us. And we're the ones called to take the risks and to follow where God is leading now that we might pass that baton on to the next generation. Not drop it on the way, but keep running. Sometimes we want to give up, sometimes we want to take a shortcut. But God is calling us, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have been people of faith in the past, we're called to keep running, to embrace the faith the risk that God is calling us into. I said I'd take you on a journey. We've been in the valley thinking about the reality that we can see in the church. I believe God's calling us to a new place. And if you look at the last picture, there's a mountain top. Looks a bit risky, doesn't it? Skydiving and parachuting near a mountain. I want you to look at that picture as I read a poem, which is a prayer for you. A prayer for this church. A prayer for us as a family of churches up and down this country, that we might be people who take the risk of following where God is leading. This is a a poem by a guy called Johnny Baker, and it goes like this. God crossed a border, a boundary, left his world to go on a journey into ours. The word became fleshed and moved into the neighborhood, dwelt among us. And we stand in a long line of ancestors, of pioneers, of risk-takers, of improvisers, of those who dared to take the adventure of following Christ, to leave their known world, to step off its edge, free-falling with God, crossing borders into unknown futures and new worlds, to share the story of Christ, to plant the seed of the gospel. And as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. This story's been passed to us because of those who dared, who risked, who dreamed, who followed, who improvised. And now we stand looking out into the future. Will you dare? Will you dream? Will you follow? Will you risk? Will you leave your known world? Will you free fall with God? Will you join Christ in the adventure? Will you be baptized into God's mission? Will you rise to surf with God into the future? Will you trust the Spirit? Far we have come. Far we must go. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Amen. I'm going to sing our closing uh, song now. In that poem, we talked about the word becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood, living and breathing in the culture that he was called to reach. Love incarnate. 
One of the things I love about being a minister is the opportunity to bless people. So let me bless you as we close our service together. May you know the blessing of God Almighty, God the Father, the one who is forever faithful, God the Son, the one who lived the faithful life, and God the Holy Spirit, the one who empowers us and enables us to be faithful to. May you know the power of this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this day and forever.